Blog Talk Radio. to MyW Sports Sports Sunday. Yes, we had to push back this edition to Monday because there was so much hockey going on. So we are here. We're ready for you. It's Luis Sanchez, Kyle Westcott, Erica Ayala. Uh, always glad to have the trio here, but we're excited to get through an incredibly uh, long rundown. We have a lot to get to uh, this week. But uh, as always, we are glad that you join us here for the recap um, in the week of sports. Um, let's get right into it. We have CWHL Clarkson Cup Finals to get to, NCAA March Madness, yes, in basketball, but we also had some hockey craziness go on this week. NWHL season's winding down. We had the Boston Pride uh, play two games this weekend. We'll also get into our softball, lacrosse, and football coverage for the upcoming year. But let's swing it over to Kyle Westcott, who has this week's fun fact of the week. Yeah, I don't want to spoil too much, but I'll just say with the Clarkson Cup this past weekend, the Lays Canadians of Montreal have played in seven of the nine Clarkson Cup finals. And prior to this weekend, they were 3-3 three and three in those finals. But we'll talk a lot later about how they did in Game 7. Well, actually, Kyle, let's get right into it. You, you know, this is this is the first two. This is the first championship of 2017. Um, so we'll get into the WTA champion later in the year. We'll see the NPF, the National Women's Soccer League, uh, United Women's Lacrosse League. We'll see all these new champions in 2017. The Montreal Canadiens are the first 2017 champions, and I'll go over to you, EA. Um, Montreal and, and Calgary. We talked all season long about these two teams being the favorites coming out of. Uh, the CW to go to the finals. We see a rematch. It wasn't a high-scoring affair like last year, but this was this was a pretty competitive game. A three-to-one score is the final. What, what was your takeaway of, of this uh, championship performance by us Canadians? Yeah, you know, you kind of hit on it a little bit there, Lou. Um Hand didn't have the, the final that they probably wanted after what can only be classified as a dominant season last year. Um, and so uh, we saw that they didn't go as dominant throughout the regular season this year. But when it, when uh, you know, when the championship, when the Clarkson Cup was on the line, they really got it done. There's been a lot of speculation about this team as we go into Worlds, and then obviously the Olympics, and if we will see a few more departures from the game on the women's side, particularly from Montreal. So I think this was a great game. Um, I was able to watch, and it was exciting. It was fast-paced. Um, and I think um, although it was Montreal that came out on top, I think the Inferno really showed 
why they um, had the, the regular season that they did. It was exciting. They were attacking the net. Um, but uh, Levante was there and was able to uh, stop more goals than uh, Evan Smashmeyer and uh, get the victory for her team. And, and Kyle, in this matchup, we see Marie-Philippe Pelin. She scores twice. Um, we see Charlene Labonte, who's, who's the CWHL goaltender of the year. She makes 26 saves on 27 shots. Um, but before we get to Montreal, let's talk a little bit about Calgary. We talked last week about who's going to start in net. Were you surprised to see Mashmeyer get the nod? <laughs> After what we said last week, I guess so. Um, you know, I felt like I felt like last week I, I had to contradict myself because she had a pretty poor game in, in game one of the semifinals. Um, but I, I was, I was hung hope for Mash Meyer before the semifinals. And then, you know, like I said, LaCasse had a great uh, second game for them and, and Mash Meyer kind of didn't do so well in game one. And, and they go back to Mash Meyer here and, I don't know that I'm surprised because I still think, you know, you go with who you think your best goaltender is. And I, I think that's where Calgary kind of pointed to all year. You looked at, if you were to look back at, at the big games that they played all year, it seemed like they still wanted Mashmeyer in net for, for those kinds of games. I don't know if it's just that she's uh, more suited to, to play, you know, the other Canadian national team members or, or if they just, they just feel like she is the best, and we're, that's what we're going to stick with. Well, and, and we'll talk. We'll talk about the pride a little bit later because we saw something like this this week as well with Boston. Before we get to the NW, I want to ride on this point a little bit, Kyle and, and EA. I want your your perspective as well because statistically, you mentioned it. Nashmeyer has gotten the big starts, whether it be against Calgary or or when Brampton, uh, you know, picked the first game against uh, Lacasse. I think earlier this year, Nashmeyer got the other start. So you're right about that. But but going into this last month and even in, into this playoff series, we saw that Lacasse was the hot goalie. So wouldn't you ride the hot goalie? EA, I'll take your perspective, and then, Kyle, I'll let you jump on it. Yeah, I I would have uh, gone with the hot goalie. And also, um, you know, I've, I've said it before, Mashmeyer is a great goalie. But you've got two experienced keepers on the bench uh, at your disposal. And I think that, you know, when it's a, it's a one-game final, uh, I think that that makes a difference. So I was a little bit surprised, um, but I, I don't want to. I don't, don't want to knock Mashmeyer. I just I'm, I'm just a little curious uh, about the merry-go-round, if you will, that has gone on for so long. I think it is important to have players know what their role is, and I think that. I mean, hindsight being 2020, right? But, um, you know, you get to the final, you want to know who your go-to is. And the fact that it was kind of up in the air, I guess it's a good problem to have, but sometimes you just need that assurance and you need people going in and know what scenarios they're going to they're gonna be playing under. And so, I don't know, I would have liked to see Calgary establish a goalie a, a little bit uh, earlier on in the season, um, or at all for that matter. Um but, I mean, you know, again, that's not to knock Nashmeyer and certainly not taking anything away from what La Canadian was able to do. Are you there, Kyle? Yeah, I would just say, you know, 
VA's point, you know, there was never a, a set goaltender. And, and I don't know that I blame them for that. When you have three goaltenders that, you know, are, are as good as the three goaltenders that they have, and you can cycle through them and make sure you keep everybody rested and, and give everybody an opportunity in, in a big game scenario to see, you know, who you want to stick with. Um, you know, I don't blame Calgary for that. I, I don't think – I don't personally think that the goaltending was, was why they lost this, this game here. Um, I think Mashmeyer did a solid job. Um, I just don't know that, that the offense uh, produced as much as they, they, they did. If we want to look back to even last year, the last Clarkson Cup, because um, last year Delaney Bryan gave up uh, three goals as well, um, but they won that game and they lost this one. That's a, that's a great point. The lone goal for Calgary came from Gilles Sonier. Um and, and EA, to your point, knowing your role, I think that's a great that's a great point. You know, going into the end of the season, you had, you know, when either Mashmeyer was gone with the national team duties, uh, Delaney Bryan was stepping in, especially against games against Boston. So there was there was this merry-go-round of goalies, and um, it, it's just interesting to see that Calgary, at least from from in my perspective, that they went with Mashmeyer when when Lacasse kind of got them back into. Uh, into the championship with her performance in the semifinals. But, um, EA, I, I just want to bring this up. Julie Chu, it's her fourth Clarkson Cup championship. She had she had three with Montreal, one with the Minnesota Whitecaps, but she also earned a berth into nationals with Concordia. I mean, she's doing it all. Oh, yeah. So, um, Julie Chu is amazing and really <laughs> was my introduction into women's hockey again through my sister, Jessica. Um and I think you see why. Uh, she is a force on the ice. Uh, she knows the game so well and is able to, um, from, from at least from my perspective, from my outside perspective, really cultivate um, and uh, talent underneath her. So I don't get the sense that Julie is worried about being the best on the ice. She wants to make everyone else uh, play at their best and do what she can to do that. And so I think that plays well into her first full season as no longer interim coach, but she is the head coach. And so, you know, it's been a while since Concordia has been able to to see that type of success throughout the end, uh, towards the end of the season. Um, And so while I think it's amazing, I'm not really that surprised. Julie Chu is an amazing person, um, and she's great for the sport. Absolutely. Well said. And Kyle, just your perspective. This is the fourth Clarkson Cup championship for Montreal. It's uh, two more than Boston, who's second place with two. Um, so is this the start of something? Because we saw Montreal win the first three that they were in. Then they kind of went into a slump, losing their last three. Um, so now now they're up one. Do you think we see a streak here? Well, I mean, look, when you there's only been nine and you've been in seven of them. I mean, that, that right there, whether you win or lose, that right there is an accomplishment. And, you know, it, it really shows just how strong uh, Lays Canadians and when they were the stars, just how strong they've been for so long. And, and it's great to see, you know, such, of a, such a great fan base in Montreal get to see so much winning uh, out of their team as well. 
Absolutely, and congratulations to the Canadiens de Montreal on the 2017 Clarkson Cup Championship, and also congratulations to the Calgary Inferno on uh, an amazing season and the other two teams uh, who made the playoffs, the Brampton Thunder, the Toronto Furies, also a great year. And we'll see if Boston can right the ship next year. Um, another great season for the Boston Blades, um, you know, just being a Blades fan here. But um, all right, let's move on. The CWHL, we'll get you off-season news from the CWHL as it happens right now. Uh, just let less Canadians uh, celebrate this victory. But let's move on to from the CWHL to the NWHL. The Boston Pride, they, uh, man, I, you know, it's hard to bring a, an intro into the Boston Pride and not sound like a broken record. Um, but, again, they, they have two games this weekend. Not again they have two games, but they have two games this weekend, and, again, they storm a comeback, this time against the New York Riveters, and then they, they route the Buffalo Buttes on Sunday. So let's start with EA. EA, New York and Boston, it, it seems like these two teams, they're vying for a shot at this Isabel Cup championship. And one-game playoffs, anything can happen. But for, for the most part this season, these have been the two perennial favorites. What are your thoughts about this game? Um, and do you see this being the Isabel Cup Championship final? Yeah, so going into this game, I thought the Riveters had a lot of really great momentum. Uh, they had their own huge comeback. Um, they had some rest, um, hopefully able to rest up some players working through some kinks and, um, you know, get their systems down. Um, and, and I think we saw that and how they started the game. Obviously, Amanda Kessel is back and healthy, not only healthy, but I think she's really um, gotten her fitness level back to where she wants uh, it to be. You know, that's something that takes a while after an injury, um, and she's been out for so long. Um, so that was good to see. Uh, we also see that uh, the Riveters, though, and this is something that um, I still want to inquire a little bit more about, but the Riveters were without Ashley Johnston as far as in the lineup, as well as Madison Packer. Um, so Johnston was there, though, at the game. She um, dabbled in coaching. She had her first opportunity to be on the bench as a coach and assist uh, Chad Wiseman and Becca Baker. Uh, the, the goaltending coach. Um, and I think what ultimately we saw with the Riveters and what we've seen with all teams that have been able to get a lead on Boston going into the third period is that they just didn't stay tight. Um, I think on the Riveters' side, the, the way that Boston was able to, to equalize, uh, I mean, Megan Duggan's snipe shot, it was a beautiful goal, beautiful, beautiful goal. Uh, but... Um, it was a defensive breakdown also. There were two defenders on either on, on one side of the ice, and Duggan snuck right in there, and before you know it, boom, uh, Katie Fitzgerald's got nothing to do uh, but, but sit there and, <laughs> and hope for the best, and it, it didn't work out in her favor that time. Uh, the second time around, you see Hillary Knight, uh, I believe it was Gigi Marvin from the point, um, put the shot on net, and Hillary Knight literally full extension on her stick, and is able just to, to tip that in. As a defender, you need to know where the offensive players are, uh, and you need to be able to, to get those sticks off the ice so that things like that don't happen. Um, so I, I would like to see uh, the Riveters moving forward. I think they're going to have to really work on playing a complete game, staying focused, uh, continue to do little things, because they are, in my opinion, um, they obviously in my opinion, I'm saying it, but... Uh, they are the the best uh, shot this season in upsetting Boston. I think we've seen that play out 
um, all throughout the season. Um, and I just don't think that uh, they had everything totally um, in sync as they did the last several games. So that's what I'll say about the Riveters. As far as Boston, also a little bit concerned about Boston. I think they started off very slow. Uh, I don't think that we saw the Boston team that we're kind of used to seeing. And I think it's great that Boston can and has the capability to come back strong in the third period. But uh, obviously so do the Riveters. If we're looking at what I'm projecting to be the 2017 uh, Isabel Cup final. And it's a one-and-done game. So both of these teams, they need to play within themselves, keep their compete level at full throttle throughout the whole game and not worry necessarily so much about who's on the other side of the bench and play their game and and really bring it. I think that's for both teams. And, you know, uh, both teams need to make sure that, um, you know, that that they're able to, to do the little things consistently throughout the game. So the Riveters being able to close out and on the Boston side, maybe starting uh, a little stronger and, and not allowing teams to get that um, confidence um, early on. Yeah, that's a great point. And, Kyle, I'll bring it over to you. Um, we We got to witness the greatness of Amanda Kessel live in person last year at the 2016 Women's Hockey National Championship. Now she's kind of back on the ice, as EA said, looking really healthy, looking really confident in her game. She scores two goals in this matchup to get New York ahead 3-1, to one, and then we see Boston score three unanswered in that third period. Just your thoughts on New York first, and then I'll, I'll take your perspective on Boston. Well, I, I'm going to agree with two things that EA said. Is One is, uh, you know, when we talked quite a while ago now, about what team we thought, you know, might be able to knock off the, the pride. Um, I, I believe it's the Rivers. And, and we saw in this game, we saw when when they add Amanda Kessel, they are a dangerous offensive team. And to get that, that two-goal lead on, on the pride and to, to have that for quite a while, I mean, look, the pride have not played well in the first period all season long. They have been very slow out the gate all season long, and it's not until the, at least the second and sometimes even the third where they really turn it on and, and then they end up, you know, being fine in the end. But, but the first period has been their, their weakest period. And, and the second thing is, you know, you look at a team like the Rivers, and, and in a one-game playoff, if they were to have a 3-1 lead, they're going to sit back on defense and just stall it out. And, and they're going to hold on to that 3-1 lead, and they're going to win. And I think that they have a great chance, especially because it's a one-game playoff. If they can get an early lead, I think the Riveters are going to beat the Pride in the playoffs. So I guess, EA, I'll bring you in on this because I, I kind of, watching this game, you know, being at Warrior, it looked to me that once they got that 3-1 lead, they did kind of relax and, and, and buckle down defensively. Um, and that's when the, proud, the, excuse me, the Pride outshot them in the second and the third. Did you see that as well in this game? I, I think yes. Um, and, you know, I was watching it. I already knew the results, so I was watching it uh, delayed. But not just in this game. That's been something that has um, – really haunted the Riveters throughout the season. Uh, they are always talking about someone who covers the Riveters at uh, Barnabas uh, Health Hockey House and talking to the team. That's one thing that they're always talking about. Whether they win or they lose, 
it's, hey, we want to play, you know, a complete game. We want to play a complete game. And I think in the beginning of the season, we saw they had really bad starts. Um, I mean, they would leave the first period with eight shots on goal to the other team's 15, 16 shots. Uh, so that, that's tightened up. Obviously, with Amanda Kessel coming back, I think that also the systems, that's something that the Riveters have talked a lot about, the systems are better. Um, but, again, you have to close out. You cannot get comfortable in this league, period. I mean, look at what Connecticut has been able to do. Look at Buffalo. They're notorious as, you know, the comeback team. You can't get comfortable, certainly not against the Pride. And what I saw, again, is that the Boston Pride, they have the skill, they have the, the talent to be able to see an opening and take full advantage. And what the Riveters need to focus on doing is staying mentally tough, staying focused. And again, I I was a defensive player when I played any sport, and and you have to you have to know where the offensive players are. You can't have them skating through, and 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 cutting in front and and getting tips like that. You just have to know, and that's taking the game to another level. Um, and, and that's something that, that the Riveters can, they have the capability to do. But, again, I, I, I just think it was interesting seeing some of the pairings that were out there. I don't know if Packer and Johnson were out just to get some rest or, um, or what the case is there, but um, I don't want to say definitely I don't, I'm hoping that this wasn't a throwaway game, but I do wonder if, if Wiseman and Johnston actually on the bench there and, and the Riveters were kind of just experimenting with a few things and getting things ready because they play Boston again this coming weekend um, and then want to be ready for, um, I almost said the Clarkson Cup. We already covered that, the Isabel, Isabel Cup final. Um, so I think that's another thing to be mindful of with the Riveters. But also, as I understand it, Boston took a few hits uh, I heard uh, Jordan Smelker got hurt in that game, and, and that there were a few other players that were missing. So, so these are two teams that, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens next week, who's in the lineup, who's healthy, and um, what that means for the opening round as both of these teams will be hosting uh, the semifinal. Absolutely. Great point, EA. And, uh, you know, Buffalo, excuse me, not Buffalo, uh, New York, they outshot Boston 9-3 in that first period, um, had a 2-0 lead. And, and you would think that, you know, if they kept that kind of momentum, didn't get 10 penalties or, excuse me, 10 penalty minutes in the last two periods, um, that they would they would have been all right. And this this was a, it was a very fun game to watch. Um, but Boston had another game the next day, and they had a host Buffalo, so playing both New York teams this weekend. And, Kyle, I heard something at the beginning of this broadcast that, you know, struck up an ear for a second. Um, the, the broadcaster said, you know, that, that Boston went into last night's game, the, the game against New York, um, and, and kind of let New York build the lead um, to put on a show <laughs> for the fans. Um, oh, okay. And, and yeah, yeah, that's, 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 that's kind of what I heard. So, um, just your perspective on that, and and do you think that's that's possible? That is bogus. You you, Amanda Kessel is is one of the toughest players to stop in the game, in, in the game, and uh, you, they didn't just let her score. Like she, she she took the puck and she put it in the back of the net because that's what she does. Um, to to say that that you let 
the Riveters get a little bit of a lead so that you could come back. It just that's just ridiculous. And and because it's early, because it's the season, it's the regular season, it's not the playoffs. I agree with EA. Who knows? Maybe Chad Wiseman just said, you know what? We're just gonna keep, we're just gonna play the rest of this game the way it is. And, you know, we're not going to try to play this to win it. We're just going to try to play it. We're just going to keep going. And I, I completely believe that if this was a playoff game, they would have changed up their game plan and, and would have shut down the, the pride and won that game. So, no, I don't believe that they just gave them a handicap and, and said, hey, we'll come back from this. <laughs> All right, fair enough, fair enough. And, EA, just, just your quick perspective on that before we get to Boston-Buffalo. Sure. You know, I think that is symptomatic of a narrative that's kind of been rampant this season. Uh, And that is that, you know, Boston goes to an ice rink and assumes that they're going to win. And I think that is not only a disservice to their competitors, but it really doesn't paint a full picture of how difficult it is to maintain an undefeated season. Um, so, I, Lou, I know that last season you were with BC Women's Hockey. Do you think that ever throughout <laughs> having an undefeated season, they were just like, nah, you know, let's, let's just take it easy? No, 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 because everyone's gunning for the number one team. And and as Kyle said, it's not just Amanda Kessel. You have, uh, although Stedman, as I understand it, didn't play last night, you have people like Kelly Stedman in the league, uh, you know, uh, all of the Kellys, Kelly Stedman, Kelly Stack, Kelly Babstock, that you have to play multiple times in a season and you're just going to kind of relax. I think that I, I, I don't see it that way. I, I, I don't think that's the case. I genuinely hope that that wouldn't be the case, and that's not how Boston talks about this season, talking to Blake Bolden and saying, yeah, it's difficult coming for us. These are physical teams. These are physical games, and now with the influx of the rookie class, um, what is happening with Team USA, it's not just Boston that's played with each other, and and yes, they still have the, the majority of the core, but all of these women at some level have played with and or against each other. So now you have to beat players that you've competed alongside you know their strengths you know their weaknesses and vice versa so you have to be on top of your game if you want to win so no I don't think it's just a walk in the park let's take it easy and you know I think that that's harmful for for the game if if you're gonna look at it that way Absolutely. Great, great, great points by both of you on, on that topic. And, um, you know, I, I had similar reaction. I was like, wait, I don't, I don't think that's, you know, I don't think that's possible, but all right. I, I appreciate your perspective and let's talk about this Buffalo game because this could be a potential semifinal matchup in the Isabel cup playoffs, Boston versus Buffalo, um, Connecticut and Buffalo will play this week for, you know, some seating positioning. So we'll talk about that in next week's show, but Buffalo comes in, and Kyle, I'll, I'll get to you first on this one. We, we talked about it with the CWHL. When you're riding a hot goalie, you're riding a hot goalie. And, um, you know, Brittany uh, has been giving up uh, quite, quite a little bit of goals uh, in the past couple of games, and she buckled down against New York. But in this game, do you think it was the back-to-back, or do you think it was like, hey, let's give Brittany a, a rest after the past couple of games? Because um, Lawrence Lobotnik gets the start, and she puts on a performance. She only gives up one goal, um, and Boston wins this game 7-1. No, I I remember asking Bobby Jay this 
uh, I think sometime in December, you know, he's very clear that that uh, uh, as good as Brittany is, uh, Lawrence Lobotnik is, is just as good. And she doesn't really get the look that she should because Brittany Otis played so well. For, um, but but he, he knows and he believes that he can switch between the two goaltenders and not lose a step. And he, and he believes that uh, he has full trust in, in what Slobodnik can do in the net. So, um, no, I, it doesn't surprise me at all. And and to know that Slobodnik was out there and, and does a great job um, just proves that exact fact that, that Bobby Jay, you know, said to me, like I said, in December. All right, well, let's get right into this game then. And uh, Lawrence Zabotnik, like I said, she had quite the game. But Brianna Decker, she scores twice. Casey Bellamy is coming on her own in the past couple of games as well. She scores twice uh, in this matchup. Boston improves to 16-0. and uh, They've extended their win streak now to 27 straight games since their last Ooh. loss to Buffalo in January of 2016. EA, I mean, this streak should be getting a lot of credit, but, but it's not. So what are your thoughts on it? Well, first thoughts is I thought Decker had the Hattie, no? She scored two well, they took two. one away. Yeah, I, you know, I, so, oh, I, yeah, I should apologize because we put out a tweet on my W Sports that she got the hat trick, and then like ten minutes later they gave it to Hillary Knight. So, so uh, we apologize for that. But, but yes, you know, okay. She, yeah, she, she liked, she liked it anyway. She liked our tweet anyway. So we'll, we'll keep that one up. <laughs> good, good job, Decker. Um, well, we'll just. Staying with Brianna Decker, and you want to talk about uh, the the streak going underreported. I think Brianna Decker. I, I don't even know how this is possible, but I think in a league that, for for whatever reason, really likes to focus on one, maybe two stars um, for uh, marketing, I really think Brianna Decker gets the short end of the stick. She was the Isabel Cup. Uh, Finals MVP, and for good reason. She, um, you know, maintained um, uh, as far as being point scorer, goals, assists was right up there at the top the whole uh, all of last season and and this season as well. And and so I love seeing Brianna Decker just completely dominate. And she does it in a way she keeps her head down and she just goes for it. And so she was on the tear. And I think that when Brianna Decker is, is in the zone, you've seen it ever since the first season, good things will happen for Boston um, and maybe not so much for the other team. So that's number one. Uh, the second thing, I think they're, again, going back to that comment, and I didn't hear the comment on the broadcast, but I've, I've seen other comments, and even sometimes the league partakes in it. Um, and there's just this uh, assumption that the Pride are going to win. And so it's it's like a weird um, – it, it, it's not even like the UConn thing because UConn wins and everyone thinks it's a, a bad thing, but they still get a lot of attention. Uh, Boston wins. Some people might think it's a bad thing for the league. Some people, you know, are indifferent, um, but they get no coverage. But I also wonder sometimes if it's kind of the setup, the sense. I've never been to Warrior, but just from other colleagues and just what comes out of Boston games. I'm curious, and maybe you guys can shed some light on this. What is kind of the media setup? What is, I mean, our, our are there media outlets going to these games? Uh, are, is there someone there, you know, for to to help media get interviews? Because it just seems like 
nobody's talking to the Boston Pride, and I'm very confused. I'm very confused about all of that. Yeah, Kyle, I mean, I'll let you talk on it, but I, I can tell you from my experience this past weekend um, after Kyle, if you, if you have a point on it. Yeah, I, I would just say, <laughs> uh, what media? Um, because, I mean, I know that there's been many games where, you know, my W Sports has been the only, uh, or if not, you know, one of two uh, media outlets actually there. So it, it's very tough to to get any kind of talk about a team, especially a team that's performed so well for so long when nobody is there to cover it, you know? And, and I would think, and I know for a fact that there has been stories in the past in, in other Boston newspapers about uh, the hidden gem or the, the secret that nobody knows about um, with other Boston women's hockey teams. And, Unfortunately, that's not happening right now, and I'm not really sure why when they've been so good, like I said, for so long. Yeah, and I, I think, Kyle, you, you know, we've been to Warrior, and Warrior is really difficult um, because you're basically media amongst the fans, um, and, and there's no outlets for, for, for your computers. I mean, it's not really a media-friendly setup. Um, now, that being said, there, there are people there to kind of help with the process, whether it's, you know, after the game, uh, setting up an interview or, um, I guess, interns running around to, to get things to, to um, the broadcasters. But, I mean, in my experience in the past couple of games and even at the beginning of the season, you know, we weren't getting uh, shot sheets or, or things that we, we would get last year, I, I guess, right. is, is, the, is the real point. Um, and and that, that was really different. And it, it becomes very difficult for media to cover an event where, um, there is no communication between the league and, and a media entity. So it's it, it's interesting, EA. That's an interesting point, and maybe that's something that this year um, – I know they came out with all these regulations, but even, even at the beginning of the year, a lot of those regulations were broken. Um, so it, it's really interesting to see how they'll adjust their media policy and, and their relationship with the media going into next season. Yeah, I think and, – and we're talking about Boston just because, I mean, you would imagine you want to talk about the undefeated team. But I think it's, it's happening with other teams as well. I, I have been able to cover games at all of the other locations, obviously in Newark the most. But um, in Northwood Ice, they have a great uh, team there for for media, but there's just not, you know, sometimes it's just Dave Pendries and I, you know, there, and that's if, if the Riveters aren't playing that I'm up there. Um, and and so, I, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's just unfortunate because, again, we are seeing in this league, particularly in Boston, these are women who by the end of this month are going up against Russia, Japan, and all of these this other talent that is preparing for uh, the Olympics, and you know we don't need to we don't need to wait to tell their stories. We can tell their stories now because there is a domestic league, and um, you know maybe we're now getting more into a philosophical debate about media coverage for women's sports. But I mean, hey, that's what we do, right? Um, but to get back on on task, I do think it's unfortunate. I don't have a really good reason why Boston isn't getting more coverage. Um, However, I mean, I think it, it's hard to have a conversation about coverage in in this season without some of the, the big stories that have come out. Um, obviously, Harrison Brown's story 
then the salary cut story, um, and then some of the players that opted to leave. Um, so I think we see blips of people who want to cover the league around those times, but I really wish I, I had a magic wand or, you know, the remedy to, to get those media outlets interested in what is an amazing game. I mean, <laughs> Boston's comeback against the Connecticut Whale. I thought I was going to lose my mind when Connecticut was leading the Boston Pride uh, going in late into the game, and then, boom, that comeback was just crazy. But on, on the Connecticut side, like, who, how is no one writing about just, dang, the hardships of this team that almost, uh, you know, was the regular season champs last season and how just things aren't coming together. There's so many great storylines, and if this were any other league, you would cover that along with if there were huge salary cuts or, you know, other things off ice. And so I'm just not sure why the interest isn't there, but – that's why we're here. That's why it's important for us to get to the game. So just it was my W Sports. Absolutely. And, and and to that point, EA, you know, I'll bring it over to the college game as well because this weekend we had the uh, the conference tournaments uh, in, in college hockey. And I can only speak for, for the Hockey East because I wasn't at any other, of the other award banquets. But, um, you know, we're invited to this award banquet and there's, you know, a nice, beautiful table for the media. Um, and, and you know, I'm the only media there representing my W sports. And it's like, wait, there's nine teams in this league all across new England. Um, you know, why aren't other local papers or, you know, other media entities covering this award banquet, you know, so two UNH players uh, won awards, Vermont players won awards, the head coach uh, for Providence won coach of the year for the third time. You know, there's, there's just so many stories in, in these games and in these sports that, that you can take and, and create a feature or create a, a recap. And it, it's just, yeah, we talk about it all the time here, but it's frustrating sometimes to, to realize that. And it, it kind of hit me at this event because I'm sitting there and, and again, at a beautiful event, a nice hotel uh, who, who sponsored the event. And it, and it, I'm by myself, um, and, and it just it hit me like wow we we still kind of have um, some dents to make in our progress. But again, well that's that's a discussion we can stay we could take for for a very long time. Um, but let's finish up the NWHL talk. As EA said before, Boston will play New York this weekend. Buffalo will play Connecticut. Catch those games uh, on YouTube or nwhl.com backslash video. Um, those games will always be available to you. Let's talk about the, the college game that I just alluded to. We had conference tournaments. We had the ECAC, the CHA, Women's Hockey East, and the WCHA going at it for automatic bids. Kyle, I, you know, I had a very, very long day on Saturday. So instead of reliving my day, I'll let you take it from here and you tell me what you want to talk about. Well, I, I'll say that I, I was sh- not shocked, but, um, you know, I was kind of hoping for a, a little bit more. I wanted a little bit more of a shakeup in, uh, in, in the NCAA tournament. So that way maybe we could have, uh, something different in the NCAA bracket because I feel like what our elite eight is is what we kind of thought it would be, and I was really hoping for some sort of shakeup where it, it would just turn itself on end and we would end up with just this crazy scenario of a of an elite eight. Um, you know, it's tough to say. You know, we talked all year about who. You know, what is the best conference and what teams are coming out of what conference. 
And, you know, it's very clear that the NCAA uh, right now is favoring the Midwest. And the ECAC got a lot of talk this year. Um, and they're, it looks as though they're going to come in as the, the second best conference uh, with Hockey East really really falling behind a little bit this year and, and not really getting as much of a, um, a say in the final eight as, as what normally they do. Yeah, it's only the third year that one, uh, I guess, Northeast or Hockey East, or it's actually Northeast, one Northeast team is in the NCAA tournament. So it's, you know, either a BC, a Harvard, a BU. Um, so that, that's, very, that's, a, that's, a, that's a telling fact about how, how dominant the, the women's hockey East has been. But, EA, I'll bring you in on this. Were there any surprises on your end, or did you kind of see this bracket as well kind of play out the way it did? Um, I'm, I'm not necessarily surprised, no. I think that, um, you know, I guess the thing that struck me most looking at the bracket, if we're, if we're going to start there, is that you have an RMU team that, that really had a, a good season. Uh, we talked about Kelly Stedman a little bit earlier, and then, you know, they're going to be matched up against Wisconsin. And and I I just don't know that, um, you know, I mean, you, you know going into a tournament that you're going to have to play, you know, these, these Midwest teams. Um, but I, I think um, – I'm, I'm going to be uh, interested to see how that one turns out because I think that although there is some really great hockey happening here on the East Coast, I, I don't know that the, the level is quite um, level out here. So, I mean, maybe I'm wrong because I, you know, I casually come in and watch. But um, but we'll see. I guess we'll find out. But that's the uh, the matchup that, that kind of struck me looking at the bracket. Okay. <laughs> So we, we do have number one Wisconsin was given uh, the overall seed after earning their third uh, third straight WCHA championship. They'll play uh, the eight seed and the W and, and the CHA excuse me the CHA champion Robert Morris uh, in that first top half. Boston College the four seed they'll play host to St Lawrence uh, ECAC team that that started the year off great but kind of tailed off uh, towards the latter half. We'll see if they can pick it up here to make a run in the NCAA tournament. Number two Clarkson a team that jumped later on in the season to number two in the pairwise, they end up winning the ECAC championship. And this will be a rematch of the ECAC championship. They'll take on Cornell. And then where a lot of people are upset is number three, Minnesota. Duluth taking on Minnesota, an interconference matchup, a WCHA semifinal matchup or rematch uh, in the first round, a quarterfinal matchup to close out the bracket. Kyle, what's the big surprise for you? Or the big, excuse me, uh, the big matchup you're looking at? Oh, that's tough to say. I mean, I, I like all of them. <laughs> you know, I, I I would love to see, again, I would love to see some sort of a shakeup. I think Wisconsin, um, you know, I, I agree with you. I think Roger Morris had a great, or yeah, Robert Morris had a great year this year. Um, and it's it's unfortunate they have to, to play Wisconsin to start. But maybe that's a chance to, to make the biggest upset of all. Um, you know, we don't know what, what's going to happen. And, and again, when it comes down to a one-game playoff, Anything can happen. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. Um, I, I think that we saw the same thing happen last year with uh, Clarkson and Quinnipiac uh, having to play in the first round. So it, it doesn't really shock me that they pitted the two ECAC teams against each other. Um, down on the bottom side there, the Minnesota-Minnesota-Duluth, I think that's a great matchup. Um, I, I think just I, – I know that they want to try to keep 
uh, a little bit of regionality in that first round. Um, but I would love to see them kind of mix that up and, and allow, you know, let's say Minnesota Duluth to play, um, you know, BC even in that first round rather than keeping it a little more, like I said, a little more regional and keeping them with Minnesota and keeping Cornell with uh, Clarkson. So um, I, I'm excited for really that Minnesota-Minnesota Duluth. I think that's going to be the best game out of the first four. Um, but certainly, you know, I already – had mentioned to you, uh, Lou, I, I think if things are to hold like I think they could, I think that Wisconsin-BC matchup in the in the Frozen Four is going to be just an amazing game. Yeah, I think I think that's that's a goaltender battle that I'm dying to see. So, um, I'll, you know, hopefully, as I mentioned as well, let's 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 wait for the quarterfinal action to play out first, uh, and then we'll jump to to Frozen Four talk for next week. I'm really excited to bring you Frozen Four coverage, um, and and you know even the the pending uh, NWHL Isabel Cup coverage as well uh, as we wrap up hockey here. Any more thoughts on this this bracket or hockey before we move on to college basketball? just want to jump back to the N-Dub real quick and uh, reemphasize that this matchup coming up between Connecticut and uh, Buffalo will ultimately determine the seeding. And so a lot riding on two teams that have struggled to stay consistent. Um, and I'm, I'm expecting that to be a really good matchup. Absolutely. Anything for you, Kyle? Might have lost Kyle there. All right, so let's move on from hockey talk. Um, we'll go on to more conference tournament action. EA, there's been a lot of talk about great basketball teams. We talked about UConn a little bit earlier. Um, but, you know, there are some other really good teams out here with some really great athletes. Uh, we, we talk about Kelsey Plum, uh, Chantal Osohor on that same team. There, there's just a plethora of athletes out there in college basketball, basketball right now. Um, we're about to hit March Madness. Is there anything that's like grabbing at you? Any team, any player that you say, "Hey, watch out for this team." A Maryland team, you know, come out and win their their conference, and so I think they're, they're going to have some momentum going into the tournament. Um, I think you mentioned uh, Washington, obviously. Uh, also, you know, a lot of eyes have been on South Carolina for a few years now, and and I think um, you know they're tired of of just missing out when it comes to that that dance with uh, UConn. So I think they're going to really look to establish themselves in the tournament. So those are those are a few teams that, that I'm looking at. also have to give a shout to to the Elon Phoenix for what they were able to do in the CAA, you know, talking about some of those smaller schools. Um, but um, so obviously Elon. <laughs> and then uh, as far as uh, some of the teams that uh, – we talk about a little more consistently Maryland, uh, South Carolina, um, on my radar. All right, that's that's and you mentioned some of the smaller schools. Dayton, uh, Belmont was the first school to make uh, make their 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 stamp into the dance, uh, earning their third overall appearance. They're zero and two. We'll see if they can turn that around. But Dayton, another small school that made it in, and Chattanooga, their fifteenth appearance. They're one and fourteen. Mm-hmm. So hey, they can they can pull off an upset. Just just letting you know. Watch out for that Chattanooga team. Uh, very oh, fun yeah. team to watch for a couple years now. So they they've definitely righted the ship down there in Chattanooga. Yeah, uh, Kyle, are you back with us? Yeah, and I'll just say, you know, I think I think Washington flying under the radar a little bit had a little a uh, little bit of a rough go in their conference tournament. 
Um, but but I agree with EA. I think South Carolina, with their big win over Mississippi State, uh, is ready to go. And 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 I think they and um, you know I, I think Maryland as well. EA mentioned. I, I think both of those teams are are moving in the right direction and and uh, are going to have their their opportunity during this March Madness to find out if they're the best. Yeah, and yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Was there a point about Chattanooga? Because I'm actually a big fan of Chattanooga. I think they're they're one of those teams that I think can can win a first or a second round matchup if if they play the right game. Yeah, and and I think what I just wanted to add about Chattanooga, I used to play in the Southern Conference uh, softball, that is, but that's a team, as you mentioned, that has really been able to do great in their conference, and maybe because they are one of the smaller schools, doesn't necessarily get. Uh, the attention that they deserve for a really great performance. Um, I mean, we even have seen what they've been able to do against some of these bigger teams, UConn included. So uh, absolutely want to make sure that uh, Chattanooga gets gets some play. Absolutely. And Stanford, another team uh, earning their 30th consecutive appearance. They joined Tennessee as the only other program to have streaks of 30 or more. Uh, So shout out to Stanford for being consistent staple in the NCAA tournament. Um, So a a lot more bids will be given up today. Kyle, we saw UConn um, play today and obviously um, win the American Conference. So are they your perennial – yeah, yeah, they they won their conference oh. championship. I think. Oh, I missed was that one. I, I wasn't sure I'm if sorry. they. I, I wasn't sure if they they were still winning. Oh, they're still winning. Oh. I, I'm. I think so. I'm pretty sure. Oh. Oh, but they're now, good. Now huh? you got me. Now you got me questioning if it was a semifinal <laughs> or a championship. No, they they keep winning. I mean, again, <laughs> this is a this is a topic that is not being talked about. They keep winning. They're they're. Their number keeps growing, and yet nobody is talking about UConn. I, I don't know what's going on here. Well, it's kind of, it's kind of like the pride, you know. It's are they and EA, you said it perfectly. It's not, you know, it's a debate whether they're hurting the game, but um, there's also this debate of how great they are in the game that should be talked about. And so they they score a hundred on South Florida. The final score is a hundred to forty-four. Katie Lou Samuelson oh. drops forty. Talk about top player Tuesday nomination. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and again, it's, South Florida is in a a horrible team, but that's just that score right there just shows you why they should not be in the American. They need to move to a a, a Big Five conference. So, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna just throw this out there. I made a bold prediction that they're gonna hit 200. It, do you if they stay in the American, are you guys still not on board that they hit 200? You know my answer, so I'm gonna let EA answer this one. <laughs> Um, I'm not so convinced that they hit 200. Um, I think that there are other teams that are playing Connecticut more consistently that are playing other, uh, you know, top 20 teams more consistently. Uh, you know, there's always that dance between wanting to give your team a really good shot at what the, the tournament can look like, but also being mindful of, of you know, what your RPI is going to look like. So, I think that kind of hurts uh, basketball and how things are done with this whole bracketology and stuff. So, I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm going on a little bit of a tangent there, but I don't think that UConn gets to 200 
because of how women's basketball is going to evolve. Um, so I would say that it would really matter what conference they go to. I don't necessarily know if I agree, though, that UConn should go to uh, a Big Five conference. I want the original Big East back, but, again, that might just be, uh, you know, we're, I think we're, we're beyond that. I don't even know who's in the Big East these days, some, some Midwestern California schools. But uh, <laughs> uh, I don't think they get to 200. I think that we're gonna we're gonna continue to see not just players but teams. I mean, look at what UCLA has been able to do. We talked about Mississippi State. Um, I think we're gonna start seeing teams that don't again for for what they've been able to do don't get credit. And I think that we I think we can see an upset. Absolutely. And talking about the Big E's, the semifinals were this uh, this afternoon and this evening. Creighton falls to Marquette, and DePaul goes into the championship to play Creighton after a win against St. John's. So uh, DePaul, I, I think, is a familiar name, EA, right? Yeah, definitely heard of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with you. I, I want the big, the old Big East back. I even throw BC back over there. I, I want it all back. Um, all right, so we'll finish up NCAA talk. More automatic bids up this week. You can catch the selection show this upcoming Sunday at 7 p.m. on ESPN, and we'll give you updates as well as we uh, as we approach the uh, the Sunday selection show. All right, so from basketball, let's go to some softball news. We got to interview Sharonda McDonald, who is the new head coach of the Chicago Bandits. This was uh, a really fun interview for me, guys. I don't know if you got to, to check the story on MyW Sports, but I'm really excited to watch what this team does. And I know we talked about it a little bit, but I uh, just wanted to hit this point again. Chicago is the two-time defending champs, back-to-back champs, and they went through a complete front office overhaul. Um, now they have new GM, new coach, uh, some new players joining the system, the partnership with softball. Australia has brought four new players to this team. Kyle, I'll jump over to you. Um, are you excited to see what this team does this season? Well, obviously. I mean, this is a team that just won two uh, two Colts Cups, and now they're going to refresh, like, not the whole team, but a good portion of the team. And, yeah, I want to see how, how it changes the Bandits. I want to see, you know, if this is the same team, if this is uh, – a completely different team. If the game plan is different, um, you know, I yeah, I want to see just what what these new players and and the whole organization is going to bring to MPS this year. And yeah, your quick thoughts on Chicago? You got to see them in person last year, so just your thoughts on this team coming into the 2017 season. Oh yeah, so this team, you know, was a team that they lost the big big-time player in Monica Abbott. Uh, you know, people were curious to see if they could do that back. And when I saw them, they they, necess- they weren't necessarily um, in the standing where they wanted to be, um, but they weren't worried. They didn't stress. And I think that's a sign of a good team. They're going to stick it out. They're going to ride it out and um, make the adjustments that are needed and really end the season where they want to be uh, at the right time. I'm also really interested to see what this partnership with um, Softball Australia is going to look like. Knowing that softball is returning to the Olympics, I think this is an opportunity for pro athletes to really get some uh, international talent, hopefully, and, uh, you know, people who follow the league domestically now be able to see 
talent throughout the world as other leagues and other places, thinking from places like Japan mostly, have been able to see U.S. talent. Absolutely. That's a great point. We'll see how, exactly how this partnership benefits that and going into the World Championships as well as the Olympics. Uh, should be a really fun time in the NPF this season and for the years to come. I still have to say this. Sherry Kemp is probably my favorite commissioner. She threw mad shade this week, as the kids say, mad shade. Um, I, it was this past week somebody tweeted her about, you know, getting sponsorships from Nike or Under Armour, and she just said, you know, we've been trying for years. Um, they they just don't want to commit, and, and I just thought that was, you know, how Hilarious. I love I love how open and honest she is, um, not only with you know her league but with with the fans as well. And, and I always appreciate that as a fan of the league as well as a, a journalist of it. So uh, shout out to Sherry Kemp for that one. Uh, let's move to the LPGA, LPGA update. The HSBC Women's Championship in B Park outlasts Ariana Jutanagarn for the title. Jutanagarn has started the season really well. She's been in the top five in the first couple of tournaments. In B Park wins her first uh, championship since last season. We'll see how this battle – I think this is going to be an interesting battle, Kyle. I, I, I know – you know, MB Park was a big favorite last year. Ariana Jutanagarn came came on the scene strong. Do you have a Do you have a favorite in the LPGA this season? Well, I, you know, I, I think that we saw uh, Jutanagarn really have a great season last year, but but MB Park is still the the classic champion. Like she's going to win the big ones. Um, I I felt like. Um, you know, Aria really came on strong and, and won a lot of tournaments, but she won a lot of the smaller ones. And, and you're still looking at uh, uh, Indy Park and, and some of the other uh, South Korean golfers as really the, the strength of, of the LPGA this year, in my opinion. Absolutely. And let's, uh, let's move on from – golf to some quick football news we did have the pittsburgh passion attend the nwhl all-star game which was really awesome ea thanks for your coverage on that um and, and putting that together with the ribs fans as well uh we also had another partnership this weekend take place between the boston renegades ribs fans and my w sports uh we actually got tickets for them to go to the boston pride game against the new york riveters an epic game so a great 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 game on the weekend to attend um and, and the renegades were were forever thankful in our support and um, um, the cool thing about this was the Renegades put out a tweet of, of a picture of them at the game, uh, and Brittany Ott kind of retweeted it, said, hey, can't wait to get out to, to a game of yours. So it was kind of the mission with MyW Sports, trying to grow the game, get athletes to attend other athletic events. Um, so just your thoughts. I'll start with you, EA, because it was you know, kind of your idea to make this happen. Uh, and then, Cal, I want your perspective on this as well. Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, uh, those tickets came from a, a group of fans, uh, Riveters fans, who – when they heard about the, the bonus for tickets, really wanted to be able to do something for not only their team, but for the team, all the teams and all the players of the NWHL. So shout out to the Rips fans for that. Um, and alongside that, getting other, not only other fans uh, of the NWHL or uh, other, other leagues to support other women's sports, but the athletes themselves. I think it's great um, when you can see someone who's at the, the, their, their best um, and they're doing something uh, that you're familiar with, even though you don't do it yourself. So, you know, you kind of get to see um, someone else's hard work and see what it looks like. And it's going to be a fan. I think usually when you're at that peak and you're, you're an athlete at, at such a high level um, and, and when you're a female athlete, 
that usually means that you're working really hard. You're, you're, you um, are not only working hard to be in the top shape, but you're working hard to market yourself, to market your team, to market your league. And sometimes it's just nice to sit back and see other people doing that and encourage them as well. So that's what I like about this partnership. I'm glad that the Renegades and the First Passion up and down. Uh, we, we were able to send a few people to their first hockey game ever, so that's exciting. Yeah, I'm thinking about Hugh Ebony, uh, moved up to Pittsburgh uh, from Carolina. So I think that's exciting, too. That's how it starts. You know, that's how we all started as fans. Going to the game live is so important. And Kyle, before you jump on, the cool thing about that EA is uh, on Instagram the other night, or I think it was just a couple nights ago, Ebony was at a Pittsburgh Penguins game uh, with with some of her friends. So so she's loving the hockey now. All right, Kyle, your perspective on, on this uh, this past weekend and um, and this ability to, to do this with the Riff fans might have used sports partnership uh, with, with the Renegades as well. Yeah, and again, I just want to start by thanking EA and, and the Riz, Riz fans for putting this together because, again, it's a, a great opportunity to, to cross-promotion uh, different women's sports. Uh, we have to continue to find ways um, to, to do things like this and, and cross-promote each other because the fans that are going to NWHL uh, games or NWSL games uh, are, are going to be the fans that we want to target to also be able to go to, say, uh, the WFA or, or be able to, to take in a, an MPF game. So, you know, I think this was a great idea and I think this was a great opportunity for the Renegades to get to see other great professional athletes playing uh, the sport that they love, and and as you mentioned, you know, hopefully some of the NWHL players will be able to get to uh, get out to to Boston's uh, new stadium this year and and get to see them play this year as well. Yeah, we could probably work on some Riveters going to some New York games, or uh, and I, I know that the Connecticut there's a Connecticut Wreckers team or a, a team from Connecticut, mm-hmm. I think that we can we can probably work out. So a lot of a lot of great things that that are coming through partnerships here and growing the games with MyW Sports uh, and various organizations. So we're really happy to take part in that. Uh, EA again, thank you for your help on that because that was that was really awesome for us to be able to do. Um, all right, let's wrap up here. Before we do, let's finish up with some She Believes Cup tournament talk. First, USA battles Germany in an epic duel of number one versus number two. Uh, USA won that game 1-0. But and then they lose uh, the next game to England. England had lost to France in their first matchup while USA earned the victory. Uh, but in this matchup, it was Ellen uh, White who scored a goal with the, in the 80, 89th minute excuse me, um, to defeat USA. This was a great back-and-forth game, a really, really cold game in, in New Jersey. Um, but now USA plays France, and depending on results, they could finish uh, anywhere in the standings. It's, it's really up for grabs right now with, with how uh, it's all played out. So, EA, I'll go to you first. Any big shockers in this, in this tournament so far? What are you looking forward to in that France matchup? Yeah, so unfortunately, you know, um, I, was, I was out of commission for, for this weekend and just catching scores. And um, I think it was a good outing by the United States against Germany from the highlights I was able to see. I really like uh, Kristen Press. Excuse me, I just like mashed her names together. Kristen Press, there you go. Um, and, and how she's able to move on the ball. And, um, you know, I saw a lot of people tweeting in and, and looked at the replay. And, you know, that goal, uh, that, that the United States got that came from you know Kristen Press really just making space and 
and her shot rings off the crossbar, but then, you know, that gives two more opportunities on goal, more or less point blank for the United States. So I like um, how players like Kristen Presser are being um, for the United States. Um, so that's something I know that Ellis has been experimenting with, I think, to um, not necessarily to the delight of, of some hardcore fans, but we'll see how it pans out. As far as England, you know, this is a young team. This is a team that has seen some success in the World Cup, um, you know, and I think they're really trying to parlay uh, off of that success and um, really grow their confidence. And we see that that played out on a very windy, cold game, the game where we say officially, finally officially, goodbye to Captain America, Christy Rampone. Um, you know, I think for England it was a great game, um, a great showing. And, again, it's something that's really going to help them be a contender. Um, as far as for the United States, I think we're still seeing a team that's coming together. Lots of uh, young blood. Again, things things are shaking up. And, um, you know, there have been some players that made a um, the Olympic roster who apparently are not healthy enough to make the She Believes Cup. Yes, throwing full shade. I'm talking about Megan Rapinoe. I had to put that in there. Very questionable, which also uh, definitely want to get your opinion on the new um, precedent that U.S. soccer has set regarding the national anthem. But overall, uh, I don't think that people should panic over the United States losing. I think, again, this is still a friendly, um, you know, competition. So we're going we're gonna to need to let the ladies play it out. Um, but I think this also has really good implications for the other teams in the league. I'm excited to see what uh, what France is going to bring as well for the remainder of the tournament. Yeah, it should be a great matchup on Tuesday. And, Kyle, I'll get your perspective. Um, you know, we won't see another major national tournament until 2019 in the World Championship or the World Cup, uh, and then in 2020 at the Olympics. So just your takeaways of these first two games and what you're looking forward to against France. Well, let me ask, uh, first, let me ask EA a question. I, I, I wonder and I'm hoping that uh, what, we, what we've witnessed against England, and, and I guess even in the first game too, um, we, we just saw, the last time we saw U.S. play in, in a major competition, um, it didn't go their way early on, and it was really a, a defensive battle that cost them. And, you know, I... I wonder, and I guess my question is, was there any change in their strategy because of the way that they lost to Sweden uh, last year in what they did so far in these first two games? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I, I, um, and again, it's hard for me to say, just kind of popping in, um, not being able to see all of the full matches. But what I will say is that it doesn't look as though the, the defensive strategy has changed all that drastically. I mean, you know, having three in the back. I guess what I how I should say it is that I think the offensive tactics for the United States are, what, are where we're going to see more of the changes. I don't think it's going to come from how the United States plays defense. I think the United States is going to want to continue to play what many classify as an aggressive, um, offensive, um, just strong offensive game, I think they're going to want to continue to do that. So I don't see 
United States necessarily um, themselves, quote-unquote, bunkering. I don't necessarily see the United States, um, you know, doing a full 180 and becoming more of a um, tactile, you know, patient kind of uh, passing team and then look for the prime opportunity to strike. I think they're going to continue to strike, and I think they're just going to bring the hammer even stronger is what I'm kind of seeing and, and what I'm deducing from from these matches and just kind of how Jill Ellis seems to be approaching um, aggressively um, getting young talent and fast. She's looking, it looks like she's looking for speed as well. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I felt like I, because I did get to see the the first half of the England match and I, I just didn't see the same, um, the same firepower and the same spark that I've seen in years past. And and I don't know mm-hmm. if it's just like you said, with some new talent, maybe they just haven't gelled yet together. Um, but, but I just felt like it was very flat in that first half for the U.S. And I think that while the United States, I think, will continue to play in a more attacking role, I think there is something, too, that this is a new team. It's a young team, and I think there's still a lot of chemistry I I also personally think that there is a lot um, – there's been a huge shift in leadership on this team. And if you look at the leaders that we have now, unofficially people like Tobin Heath, officially uh, Carly Lloyd, Becky Sauerbrunn, I mean, these leaders uh, have never had to be necessarily the go-to leaders, um, especially from the media perspective. Uh, because you've always had Abby Wambach, you've always had a Shannon Bach, you've always had a Lauren Holiday, and you've always had a Christy Rampone for basically the entirety of, of these women's careers. And so now they're, they can't just focus on their game. They're now responsible for the team. And so I think you're seeing a culture shift also with, with the U.S. team. Um, I'm not necessarily thrilled with, with how it's uh, coming together. I think Again, I think there are a lot of off-pitch things, including uh, kind of alluded to um, U.S. soccer bringing down the hammer as far as, uh, you know, some of the the policies and procedures for the national anthem, uh, knowing that as far as I know, there's still no CBA. Uh, There are players that now are not in the United States and they're having to learn to do culture from new teams. I just think there's a lot going on, and so it's not surprising to see this team flat. I don't think, I mean, again, I think if they learned anything from uh, from the Olympics, that's the last thing that they should be doing. But I think it's going to take time, and, and I think this is still a young team. And I don't see that this is a disciplined team yet. I just don't see them as, as a very disciplined U.S. team. Yeah, it's a, that's a great point, and um, you know we saw that. I, I I kind of echo both sentiments here. It's 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 a very young team. I think that they have plenty of time to figure it out, and and the interim fans have to kind of put the past away uh, and realize that this is sort of hey, let's we're looking for 2019 and 2020. Um, these friendlies are just helping us get there, so results aren't really um, something to be too up in arms about, but as EA, you talked about it, there's a, there's a whole bunch going on, but, but I also heard about this U.S. soccer imposing a, a rule that all athletes must stand for the national anthem. Definitely wanted to get your perspectives on this. Um, 
you know, it's, it's really interesting. And I'll start off with, I still remember when Abby Wambach was, was criticizing. And I think, uh, Howard from, uh, from the men's national team, both players were, were criticizing international or not international, but non U S born players. Um, and, and we didn't see any sanctions there. We didn't see any rule change there. Uh, I know hope solo was suspended for her thoughts on, on a post game comment that we still haven't seen hope solo back. Um, so there's a lot that's, that's frustrating for me at least in this piece so, EA, I'll start with you. Um, what's your thoughts on this uh, this imposed rule that all athletes must stand for the national anthem? So, just to be clear, there, as, as far as I know, there was never a policy in U.S. soccer regarding the national anthem. Uh, over the weekend, somewhere in Hawaii, as I understand, uh, U.S. soccer came together, and um, although the Players Association, uh, from a statement that I saw, um, from a news outlet, knew that U.S. soccer was meeting uh, to, to go over some procedure and bylaws. They did not know what would be discussed, um, and it was stated that now all players for U.S. soccer are required to stand during the national anthem. Um, and so um, this seems to be, I mean, I, I, I guess, you know, I could be completely wrong, but I think it's fair to deduce that this is coming because Megan Rapino decided to kneel while with U.S. soccer. She had been kneeling with uh, the Seattle Reign in response to a lot of what was happening uh, towards the tail end of 2016 and continues to happen, um, and, and her wanting to use her voice and her, her position to raise awareness for Black Lives Matter. And so let's start with the fact. So there is now a... a a rule, a station, and it's written into the bylaws and it's procedural that U.S. soccer players, men and women, and that's throughout all of the ranks now, so the youth teams, I would imagine, as well, have to stand for the anthem. Um, again, this is something that didn't exist before, and U.S. soccer is a private entity, and they have every right to expect essentially people that they employ to abide by certain rules and regulations. So that's factual. However, here's the thing that really uh, burns my grip, uh, is that this is something that happened, uh, again, apparently without any um, input from the players. This is something that was, again, retroactive, as it would appear, to something that Megan Rapinoe did um, and, and is trying to reprimand her for something that, again, you could assume that people are finding disrespectful, uh, not standing for the flag, but it doesn't open the conversation on why Megan Rapinoe was kneeling in the first place. And let's also remember that outside of the private entity, there is nothing in the Constitution, there is no expectation on, on your birth certificate when you're born here in the United States or when you become naturalized that says that you have to recite the national anthem, that you have to stand for the national anthem, or, uh, or, or the Pledge of Allegiance, for that matter, and ceremonial. Uh, the national anthem is, is ceremonial and comes from a long history of the U.S. Uh, armed forces, you know, you know, having partnerships with large sporting, uh, sporting uh, leagues and saying, hey, you know, we have some money in our budget. We'd like you to play the national anthem if we want to have a flyover and a huge flag, that's where this um, now kind of tradition came from. 
So I just think it's a little bit of a stretch to call an act of not standing for something that is ceremonial on american I think that it sends the wrong message and it, it really handcuffs players from being able to make a stand or take a knee for that matter for issues that are much larger than, um, you know, again, just, just a, a traditional song. So that's my, uh, that's my take on it. And Kyle, I'll, I'll get your opinion. I mean, we saw the WNBA um, rescind their fines when players decided to do their protest, um, and it looks like U.S. Soccer did not take a page out of the WNBA playbook and take those fines back. Um, so, is this? I mean, as EA said, this is this is most likely, and in all eyes, a direct response uh, to the kneeling of Rapino. So, what were your thoughts? Well, I'll just disagree with EA for one thing. It, it is in the Constitution. It is the the freedom of speech. They are allowed to kneel if they want to kneel. They are allowed to not be there for it if they choose not to be there for it. It is totally in their right not to have to stand for it as part of the Constitution. And there have been court cases in in the way of um, the Pledge of Allegiance, Not, I, I don't know for sure about um, the National Anthem, but for the Pledge of Allegiance that, that students in schools do not have to stand uh, for the, the National Anthem and they do not, or sorry, for the Pledge of Allegiance and they do not have to say it uh, in, in, at, at school in the mornings. Um, so I, I just think that this is, this is a step in the wrong direction and I think that this is really stepping on the toes of that freedom of speech and allowing people to, um, you know, protest for what they believe in. And, and they, what they believe right now is that there are things that are uh, unjust and, and need to be changed. And, and I think that that's something that the U.S. Soccer uh, Federation needs to really take a step back and, and think about that um, they, should, they should want their players to be uh, voices in the move of society and, and be voices for uh, standing up against things that are unjust. And, and they have that opportunity. They have that, that platform to be able to do so. And, and it's their freedom of speech. It's their right to be able to do it. And I think just to add my, my quick perspective, it's the original lyrics of the star spangled banner aren't very appealing. Um, you know, the original lyrics. Um, so the, it's been modified to be, as EA said, uh, kind of a patriotic symbol during athletic events. And we had this conversation before. There's there's no other place, and, you know, we've talked about it, um, there's no other place that plays the national anthem before an event except sporting events uh, and, and possibly concerts. Um, so, so when you think about that, and, and EA brought up a, a great point, is U.S. soccer is a private entity, um, but there's no there's no direct link between U.S. soccer and the U.S. military. Um, it's not like they're producing um, combat soldiers. They're, they're producing athletes who go on an international stage. Uh, but we all kind of abide by these rules in our own way. Kyle, you're a teacher. Um, you know, there, there's, you can't go into school swearing up a storm. Um, EA, you have, you have an employer as well. You know, there's, there you, there's certain regulations that we all abide by. Um, and not to play devil's advocate here, because I'm fully on board with what you both are saying, um, but I kind of understand that 
I understand where they're coming from. I just don't to, – to your point, yeah, I don't see – I see it being an issue because players and the Players Association weren't involved in this decision. This was just a, hey, this is our power and this is what we're going to do and you're going to have to deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and another thing, and I can't take this outside of the context of the political climate right now, is that it's never gone well for a society that um, mandates patriotism. Um, you know, huge, I am a proud American. Um, I'm very proud to be from America. And I, because I am a proud American, I know that I have a right to disagree with my country, and I have every right to. And I know that people who look like me, um, people who are born <laughs> to my gender, are not respected in this country that I love, that I work in, that I uh, support with financially by paying taxes, um, and in, in a lot of other ways in the work that I do and in what I choose to do in my personal life. So to tell me that as an American I have certain inalienable rights, except for certain times, then that, that just is very confusing. Um, I think it, it doesn't play out the American narrative, and I think it's really a conversation. Well, it's not a conversation. That's number one. U.S. soccer is not having a conversation. Um, but it, it's a look that in in wanting to appeal to what I would argue is one catchment of fans, one niche of fans, you can also easily not only alienate another group of fans, but even the players on the pitch themselves. I'm, I'm very curious to, to hear what Megan Rapino thinks about this, because it seems that there was a, they might as well name the dang, the dang rule after her, uh, you know? Um, I wonder how players of color in the system feel, knowing that Megan Rapino took a knee because of uh, Black Lives Matter and what has been happening in this country. Uh, so you you want to arguably be respectful to the military, and I'm not saying, and I would never say to disrespect anybody um, who chooses to make sacrifices for their country, but let's just remember that it's not just on the battlefield in the traditional sense that people make sacrifices. Athletes make sacrifices for their country, um, Politicians make sacrifices for their country. Teachers definitely make sacrifices for the betterment of this country. And and I just want this country to respect all of the battles that are fought. And and sometimes that means that you have to allow people to be who they are and say what they need to say for the betterment of the country. But silencing people because something is 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 not PC enough or uh, you know, or whatever the case is, is, is very dangerous. And I don't think that's a precedent that if we look back historically that this country um, should should continue. We shouldn't perpetuate that um, because, again, it, does, it never bodes well. Absolutely. And uh, as I said, great sentiments by both of you on this topic. Uh, Kyle, I'll let you finish up. Do you have any, uh, any, other, to- excuse me, any, other, uh, any other points on this topic? No, I, I think EA hit it right on, and and um, I think that there's uh, again I I don't think that this is the right uh, this is the right move for 
the U.S. national women seem to try to uh, limit what what they or or tell them what they should do during a certain uh, time. I, I just think that this <laughs> this is overstepping the bounds, and I think they need to rethink what they're doing. And EA, just your final thoughts on the topic. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm in agreement with Kyle, and, and the only thing I would say is that, you know, this isn't just for the women's team. Again, it's all of the teams. Um, and, and, again, I'm just, I just wonder if another league did this. I know there were some comments that came from um, uh, from the men's uh, coach. Uh, what, what's the guy? He used to coach the, uh, the Rangers. You know, he made very, very strong statements. Uh, regarding his opinion on this. And so I just wonder what's going to happen now as, as we see some of the other women's league. Is this going to become the new trend or, you know, I, I don't know. I hope not, but, you know, anything's possible. Absolutely. And we'll keep you up to date here on MyW Sports with all of the latest on U.S. soccer, uh, NWSL action coming up uh, in just – in just a couple months, really excited. Almost just a month away, so we're really excited for that. Uh, football, a lot of a lot of great sports coming up this uh, this upcoming spring and into the summer. So uh, stick with MyW Sports again. You can visit MyW. Excuse me, MyW. You can visit MyWSports dot com for the latest on the Clarkson Cup Championship, the U.S. Soccer loss to England, uh, and the Boston Pride extending their winning streak to twenty seven straight games. Um, it's been a pleasure to be here on this lovely Monday night. You could join us next Sunday for MyW Sports Sports Sunday. Follow us on social media at MyW Sports as we bring you Motivational Monday, Top Player Tuesday, Women in History Wednesday, Throwback Thursday, and Friday Favorites. If you have any ideas for these days on social media, please let us know. Uh, shoot us a DM or an email uh, at mywsports at gmail.com. Uh, for Erica Ayala, the, uh, Kyle Westcott, Luis Sanchez, um, Again, we appreciate you joining us here tonight on MyW Sports Sports Monday. Um, And have a great rest of the week. And join us next week for another show.